Welcome to nothing in person. That's the word of the day. We had to do a lot of. I got in so much trouble because I said some bad words last night. It was Dean Spanos. It was a quote. The owner of the Chargers said some M. I got called into the principal's office. Can you imagine? My word of the day is. My view is if I'm saying a quote of someone, then that's not worthy at all. It's not even any kind of worthy. If an owner's going to talk like that, I'm going to give you the exact news as it said. Would you rather I censor the words? Would you rather I not give them to you exactly in the tone in which he gave them? My job for you is to tell you how it happens. So I'm not happy to have been and I do not expect to ever have as my word of the day again during this show. I've spent the majority of my life fighting with Scott Boris and wondering how it is that he's got the power he has. And I'm going to do something today on the show that I never expected I would do. And it involves genuflecting. I'm not a big genuflector to begin with because A, I'm already close to the ground and B, I just don't think it's good to do that. However, I've got to do it to Scott Boris because he's in control. He's in control of my whole show. He's in control of the entire sport of baseball. He could hold Major League Baseball hostage the entire offseason and make the entire offseason just about him. Would he ever do that? Yes, he would. But I'm hoping he doesn't because as one of the people who is always in his ear and always sort of under his skin, who he's trying to discredit, claiming he's never met me before, doesn't know who I am, I've negotiated so many deals with him. The reason why he claims to not know me is he doesn't want to know the fact that I'm upset that I've never won a deal negotiating with him. We've always had to give in to him. He's won them all. So I'm just, I'm just another point on his map, a notch in his belt. And his belt is a large one this off season. It's got Garrett Cole in it. It's got Steven Strasburg in it. Anthony Rendon, Mike Moustakis. I'm still going. Ryu, Keiko. Castellanos, remember him, he went to the Cubs, he was the story until the Cubs didn't make the playoffs. Let's just review, I'm just giving you the name of basically seven guys, but it starts with Cole, Rendon, and Strasburg and works its way down. Scott, this is from me to you right now, it's just us. Pretend no one else is listening or watching, which may be true anyway, but just right here, right here. Scott, you're gonna get the money. 5% of all those contracts, and you can keep your academy going for at least another three years. You can keep giving financial advice and life advice. You can be a life coach. You can do more hats for Garrett Cole with the B logo. You could even do pullovers, but I've seen those in Florida. And if you bring Garrett Cole to Los Angeles, you're a season ticket holder there. You can watch your own player. I know, Scott, I know that once a player is signed, you move on to the next player and get the next one. I know, but still, you've got to watch games, don't you? So this is your opportunity. Do something good for the sport. Get your players paid. Get yourself paid. But don't make us wait until spring training. Don't make the producers on CBS Sports HQ have to do stories every day about where the rumor is that Cole is signing or Strasburg or Rendon. You know Rendon's going back to the Nats because they got rid of your other client and sent him to the Phillies. You know that Cole wants to go west, so let him go west. Call the Yankees, tell them what it's gonna take. Just tell them 500 million over 10 years. Get the no, 
and then move him along to Los Angeles where you know he's going to have to end up. You know Strasburg is not going to get the seventh year. Just get him six years. You already got him. He turned down $100 million. You're going to make an extra $100 million for yourself, for him. 5% of $100 million, that's five more million. That pays for like a 100 of your employees. Just think about what you can do to make this offseason better. Because the better Major League Baseball is, the better you are, the better the players are. I'm begging you, Scott. I'm genuflecting. Give us our game back. Thanks. Well, there are some uh, people, this is uh, too good to be true, that robo-umps may be coming to Major League Baseball. Commissioner Rob Manford has said that we may test robo-umps in the minor leagues this coming season. Well, you know very well that they were in the Arizona Fall League, and robo-umps may have a small problem, and here's why. When you look at what a robo-ump is, you have to sort of imagine what it could be. That's it. That's the robo-ump. Johnny number five, calling Steve Gutenberg, Ali Sheedy. Can you imagine a robo-ump talking to the catcher and saying, yeah, that was not outside or inside, it was perfect. Well, this isn't really how it's gonna be, I don't think. I think it's gonna be more like TrackMan. And TrackMan has its issues because it just says if it touches the strike zone, it's gonna be a strike. And we know very well that each umpire has a different strike zone, each human umpire. But if you have a robot there, then there are no human beings, there are no human mistakes. But during testing, it has not gone well. Players, managers, executives, people have had a problem because it's actually calling the strike zone as it's written in the rule book. You wanna speed up a game, commissioner? You want pace of action? Then you get a strike zone the way it was meant to be, what we tried to do for years in the competition committee. You would think that we were actually solving the Middle East peace crisis when we wanted to enforce the strike zone as it is written in the rule book. But once you program TrackMan and the RoboUmp, even Johnny number five will never make a mistake. We will adjust to the true strike zone, hitters and pitchers. This is what baseball's been waiting for. The technology exists, the commissioner said it himself. The real problem we have now is how traditionalists and even some fans, in addition to the older owners, don't wanna see a change like this. Well, you've heard it before on Nothing Personal, and we're gonna say it again right now. If Major League Baseball doesn't start making changes, they're gonna lose their sport as it continues to get older and older from a demographic standpoint. Younger people don't wanna watch replays. They don't wanna spend the time watching people fight over whether it's a strike or a ball. They wanna see a crisply, crisply called game. Say that 12 times into your camera. A crisply called game, and they want it called correctly. I've talked about how tennis does it. We've talked about how replay can be quick, efficient, and perfect. The joke is, is it the Jetsons, um, is it the Jetsons robot? Is it the short circuit robot? If you haven't seen the movie, Google it. It doesn't matter. It's not gonna be an actual robot. There'll still be a human umpire. The union will not lose any jobs. That was another issue the umpires had. Well, is there gonna be a fewer jobs? Stay tuned to the end of this show where you're gonna hear about how there may be extra umpires hired. But there will be plenty of opportunity for Major League Baseball to make this change, and I believe it's coming. But it's gonna come slowly. So what they do is they start in the minor leagues. Anytime you hear Major League Baseball saying, we are testing something in the minor leagues, that means they're getting ready to implement it, but they promised 
members of the ownership group and of certain committees like the competition committee and the rules committee that they would test it to see if there's any unintended consequences. So far, the unintended consequence of a robo-ump has been some distrust by players who believe they're getting strikes called against them that were balls or balls called against them that were strikes, the pitchers complain. But that's not what they should be studying. What they should be studying is the actual efficiency of the robo-ump and the changes that that can do to the game in terms of pace of play and pace of action. We'll see if they do robo-umps. My guess is it's a guarantee that we will see that in Major League Baseball in the next few years, though that is not a wait to see for the day. We had some news in the basketball world uh, that was incredibly frustrating to me as a former team president. I can't tell you how angry it makes me when players test positive for performance-enhancing drugs. We pay them money, and we pay them to keep their bodies in shape. They get paid because of their bodies. Their bodies are a wonderland. Hey, Coca, isn't that a song, My Body's a Wonderland or something? I can't sing it, but I think it's a John Mayer song. So for players, that is what their bodies are. And why is it every time a player gets dinged for PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, supplements, that they always say the same thing. May I read to you a quote from my good friend? He's not a good friend, I've never met the guy, John Collins. This is what he said after he tested positive. I've always been incredibly careful about what I put in my body, comma, but I took a supplement, comma, which, comma, unbeknownst to me, exclamation point, had been contaminated with an illegal component. Hey John, have you ever heard the thing that if you have a bottle and it's open before you use it, that you shouldn't use it? Right, when you get aspirin or ibuprofen, if it's unsealed, we learned that like in Halloween in New York City because there could be razor blades in your apples. You're, t- you're taking a supplement into your body that unbeknownst to you was contaminated? Where'd you get it from, John? You didn't get it from your trainer because that's where you're supposed to get it. So you talk about that you plan to appeal your suspension so you can get back on the court as soon as possible and continue to contribute to our campaign. Well, if you appeal this and it goes to arbitration, you're actually not getting back as soon as possible because once you lose, which you will, you'll then have to serve your suspension after that. Why not just have a quote that says this? I used to always be incredibly careful about what I put in my body, but I wasn't feeling great and felt like I wanted an advantage because my body was hurting, so I took a supplement that I knew was contaminated with PEDs, but I was told that I could mask it and not test positively. It turns out that that was wrong and I did test positively. I'm not sorry to anyone because I knowingly did this because my body is a wonderland and I know exactly what goes into it. So my plan is to serve my suspension and find a better way to mask the drugs that I do in the future. Thank you, signed John Collins. Why wouldn't that be a better way to go about it? You know what's worse than the cover-up? It's the lie, right? The lie of the cover-up is worse than the cover-up and the cover-up is worse than the crime. Athletes constantly do this. How about the MLB players who claim they've never done steroids? Are they in the Hall of Fame? No. How about the MLB athletes who admitted they did it? They're totally forgiven. Andy Pettit, Jason Giambi, forgiven. No one talks about it. But do people talk about Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, 
Alex Rodriguez? Of course they do. Because they're never willing to admit when they do something. And every player comes up with the same statement. Unbeknownst to me, I had a player with the Marlins, D. Gordon, one of the nicest, greatest men. We, he, we traded for him. We then signed him to a long-term contract. He then tested positive for steroids and was suspended 80 games. That's half a season. That's the equivalent of a 41-game suspension in the NBA. So John Collins only got a quarter suspension. D. Gordon apologized. He was in tears. He didn't know how it happened. My contention to D then and my contention to D now, and he's still a friend, is that you do know how it happened. Players do know how it happens. We, as executives in sports, give our players supplements, and every supplement we give, it will never, ever, ever test positive for PEDs. If you're tired, if you're hungry, if you're anything, you're sore, we will give you a supplement to take care of it. The trainers have it, the doctors have it. Don't go to your local pharmacy. Don't go to any place in the Dominican Republic. Don't go to any place in the United States, like a supplement store. Go to your trainer. Go to your team doctor. Anytime a player tells you that they are using supplements gotten from outside of the clubhouse, they know very well they're doing that for a reason that they don't want the club to know about. And if they don't want the club to know about it, there's one reason, because it's banned or it's not approved, or it's helping them more than any supplement that we can give them. Hey, that's not a newsflash. If it's illegal, it probably does help more. But that doesn't mean you should do it because you hurt your team, you hurt yourself, you hurt your legacy, and at the end of the day, if you don't own it, you wear it. And John Collins is wearing it today, that's for sure. There's another person who's wearing it. This is, this was my, uh, this is one of my top stories of the day. Uh, we talked about Paul Maidman, and uh, he was the media editorial director at Deadspin, and uh, he actually worked for their parent company, Geo Media. And he came in, if you remember from a previous episode, he came in and he said that he was going to change Deadspin to be more sports-oriented. Any story that sort of has some slight attenuation to sports, anything related to sports, that's what we're going to do. But if it's not about sports, then we're not going to run it. So immediately, all the writers that who worked for Deadspin quit. They walked out. I did an entire segment saying I don't feel sorry for those employees. The employer has a choice. The employer can decide exactly what direction he wants his company to go. Well, wouldn't you know it, I still agree with that. But today, Paul Maidment resigned from GO Media, edit, GO Media as the editorial director with the following quote. I will be pursuing an entrepreneurial opportunity. I have resigned to pursue an entrepreneurial opportunity. Well, isn't that a coincidence? I know exactly what it is. He's gonna go work for a company. He's gonna send an email that will cause everyone in the company to quit and resign. He's gonna be like George Clooney in Up in the Air or Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. He's like the cleaner, he's the wolf. He's the man who's brought in to fire everyone or get them to resign. Because he'll come in, he'll pen another email, everyone will leave, and then he'll move on to continue to pursue his entrepreneurial career opportunities. Well, I think you're gonna see, if not already, let's check online, maybe if we look on the Google, 
we will find Paul Maidment LLC. That's the entrepreneurial opportunity that I bet it's gonna be. That's keyword when you see that, right? That's keyword for I just got fired and I don't want a gap in my resume, so I start a company as an executive so I can stay relevant, and I just put my name on it and LLC or LP, limited liability company, limited partnership, your lawyer will tell you what you do or you can just go online and follow the steps. But that's what his opportunity is gonna be. Because do you for one minute think that after everything that happened at Deadspin, this entrepreneurial opportunity just came up? He just had this amazing epiphany of a brilliant business idea that just so happened to be in the days after he sent an email changing the entire way that Deadspin was gonna do business? Did he just figure out a way to make hot dogs healthy? That would be an entrepreneurial opportunity. Did he figure out a way to gamble for a living on sports? Is he like a fantasy guru, do you think? Will he be an upcoming analyst? I highly doubt it. What I think is there was no entrepreneurial opportunity, that that was called a wordsmith. We workshop our messaging with PR people. We figure out what we're gonna do and say. Can you imagine that at least three people at least three executives approved and agreed, and Paul himself agreed that he would say that he's leaving Geo to be an entrepreneur. I don't buy it for a minute, neither should you. It's actually not gonna happen that way. Uh, you're gonna see that he started his own company, but I think it'd be great if he started firing people. So this next, this next bit uh, occurred to me as I was wondering why Wisconsin, you know I'm a Badger, and I love my Badgers, and they had the best defense in the land, except everyone here at CBS said that's because they weren't playing anyone good, which I disagreed with. And I felt as though that they were gonna be in the CFP. I thought we had a real chance. And if they weren't, I was gonna do a full segment on how I thought there should be eight teams in the playoffs, anything to include my Badgers. But then the first rankings came out. And let me just give you a little background of what happens and the studios where I work of CBS Sports HQ when the rankings come out. Everyone's hair's on fire. Pish! Everyone's running around. We're gonna get segments. We've got experts. We're talking about it. Why is LSU in the top, not um, uh, Clemson not in the top four? Is LSU one? What about Alabama? Is two a plane? Everyone's going crazy because it's news. And to me, it's gospel. When the CFP comes out, this is what I'm waiting for. It's like, the, the, fifth, the 10 commandments, I was gonna say the 15 commandments from History of the World Part One. If you haven't seen the scene in History of the World Part One where Mel Brooks presents, I give to my people the 15, and he drops a tablet, and he only has two left of five each, the 10 commandments. That's why there's only 10 commandments, I don't know if you know that, because Mel Brooks drops commandments 11 through 15. Thank God for me, or there would just would be more violations. So this committee, I wanted to learn about it. So now I'm gonna teach you. It's 13 people who sit in the committee and we're gonna take a look while we're discussing this as to who these 13 people are. Well, there's the AD for Oklahoma. Let's keep going, Coca. All right, the Oregon ID. There's Chris Howard, he was good for Michigan. Ronnie Lott, good. Now here we go, hello, Ken. As we search through these, there's one woman, an ASU professor, I do think it's in communication, so it's okay. R.C. Slocum, you've heard of him. Are you noticing any sort of pattern here? Are you noticing the demographic of this committee? It puts the H in homogenous. 
It puts the O in old. Hello, Frank. We're showing Frank Beamer. Former Army Chief of Staff, that's important. Thank you, Ray. Can you imagine that those 13 people are in charge of what I have to be either happy or miserable about? What about the old system? The BCS system. Everyone complained about that, right? But why don't we make it so there's an algorithm? We can do an algorithm to calculate exactly what you're going to search for before you search for it. You can talk about something and you can look at your phone and all of a sudden there's a commercial for it or an ad for it. You can think about buying something on Amazon and all of a sudden there it is as a suggested buy. We can't come up with an algorithm in order to do the football playoff system. We need a committee of those 13 people. Do you? Here's what they do. They sit in a room and they have, obviously it's catered with coffee and donuts. They probably bring in sandwiches because it lasts through lunch. And they get to order in advance. They'll probably have, some people have fruit, maybe some salads. It's gonna be pretty healthy. And then they recuse themselves if there's ever a conversation about a team that they're associated with, had been associated with, or are associated with. It turns out <clears throat> that Robert Morris is not in the top 25, so we're okay. However, they sit around and they come down with their top 25. My argument is this, scrap the committee. I don't wanna look at a committee of two African-Americans, one woman, and 10 men, none of whom represent anybody who's actually focusing on what this, what this committee means and the information that they are disseminating. I'm trying to get things younger. Yes, it's true. I know that I am preaching, saying that I want to be out of a job. But I'm still 20 years from that. 20 years of you getting this five days a week. But from a college football playoff standpoint, let's stop it now. Let's not have the debates be about, right, let's not debate who's where. Let's talk about how teams can get better. Let's talk about what teams are doing because the math says they're at number six and they want to be at number four. Let's talk about the money that we can all make for the schools, for the networks, and for ourselves, except for when we're buying tickets, by having eight teams in the playoff. Let's talk about a tournament like that. Instead of debating where the slots are and leaving it up to 13 people who none of us could pick out of a lineup. None of us. Frustrated. We'll see how it goes, though. If Wisconsin's in the top four, by the way, scratch the entire segment those 13 people are brilliant geniuses. L last night I watched a, uh, a play on Netflix called American Son. Uh, it, it's a movie, they called it, strangely enough, they called it a Netflix television event. Again, I think three people in the room sat around thinking about that, like what should we call it? Because it's not a movie, it's got one set and one scene. And it's exactly a play that was on Broadway with the exact same cast. For those of you who associate Kerry Washington with Scandal, um, you can, but she could also be associated with this play. She is a very talented actress. And in this play slash television event slash movie, she plays the mother of a boy in Miami who has not come home. And this is not a boy who generally would not come home. This is a boy who always would come home and do his work he was actually on his way to West Point, purportedly, and he never came home. And it is the story about racial tensions and what a mother, an African-American mother, goes through when her son is missing, and it takes place in a police station. And so you've got the characters who could be very stereotypical. 
you've got the Caucasian police officer. But then they throw in two parts of this story where there is a African-American police detective and then the father, Kerry Washington's husband, is Caucasian. So what's interesting is, is the play, it's exactly a dialogue. So it doesn't seem like a movie, it seems like you're watching a play, but it makes you really think about what it is that goes on in parents' minds when their child is missing. And you can really take it to heart because you think about, can I associate with this if you have children? And then you realize that unless you're in those shoes, you can't associate with it at all. The complaint about American Son has only been one, that when you put a play and film a play and make it into a movie, it looks like you're filming a play. So it's sort of awkward. There's not a lot of, there's no scenes, right? They don't cut to many things. They try to do occasional flashbacks that last a few seconds, but it, it literally takes place in one room. My advice to you would be, you can't see the play, it was a limited engagement. I would watch this on Netflix, and then what I would do is talk to friends, talk to colleagues, talk to children, talk to significant others, and talk about what it did to you, what it made you think about, and don't get stuck in the trap of saying that we're not allowed to talk about these issues, because that's the problem we're having right now. No one's allowed to talk about issues because everyone is so bifurcated. They're either on one side or the other, to the extreme. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. If you don't agree with me, we can't talk. That's not how I grew up. I grew up debating. I grew up conversing, talking to people. And we have to get people to talk again. An American son could be the vessel used to start a conversation between what is what's right, what's wrong, and what could always be better. Did you hear what happened to Under Armour on a completely different note? Well, Kevin Plank, yes, Kevin Plank, the starter of Under Armour, let's give you a little backstory about him. In 1996, he went to his grandmother's basement and he said, I'm sweating too much and I don't like cotton. So he found a way to invent something that basically wicks away the sweat and he ran it out of a basement. The total sales were $17,000, roughly the markup on a pair of Under Armour shoes these days. But all these years later, 23 years later, his company's got $5 billion of revenue. It's no longer run out of a basement, it's run out of a huge office space in Baltimore, Maryland. You're asking yourself, why are we talking about Kevin Plank? We're talking about him because he's changing his job at Under Armour in a situation that is happening way too often. Here's how it goes. It starts with someone coming up with an idea, and they're young. They may be out of college, they may not even have graduated college. Think about Mark Zuckerberg Facebook. No college, dropped out of Harvard. They start a business, they're really good at starting businesses. Then it grows and grows and grows, and all of a sudden they don't wanna stop running it, except they don't know how to run a big business. Picture a baseball player trying to run a professional sports team. You know who I'm talking about. Yes, you do. And he may be listening now. Hi, Derek. In any case, what happens is Kevin Plake runs his entire business, and then it gets too big for him. So what happens is he eventually has to step down. And he decided this was the right time for him to step aside and have a different CEO. He called himself now the new executive chairman. And he basically said that he was gonna do this so he'd have more time to think globally about the brand of Under Armour. Well, I'd like to draw you a different picture 
as to why he's stepping down. Let's start with one of his competitors, Nike. Let's look at the past five years of Nike's stock. That looks a lot like a backwards slash, doesn't it? Okay, I'd say Nike's doing pretty well. It's a forward slash, excuse me. A forward slash for Nike means five years ago, the stock was low, and it has since climbed all the way to today, where it has gone from five years ago at $62, it's now at $89. Now let's go to Adidas and look at their forward slash. That's a forward slash too. They were at $39, and now they're at $147. Now what I love about the graphs that we're showing, if you're watching this segment, is that I can make the graphs look however I want. I can make 39 to 147 look flat, or I can make it look like Mount Everest. So right now, that slash, that is a forward slash, but 39 to 147 is a tremendous improvement, whereas Nike's was 62 to 89, and it looked on the graph as though it was a bigger forward slash. But they're both forward slashes. The other competitor is Lululemon. Yes, Lululemon. Let's show how they've done. Five years ago, $52.58. I'm talking September of 2015. And now Lululemon is at $197. That is another forward slash. What do Nike, Adidas, and Lululemon have in common? It's the leisure wear. It's the comfortable stuff that you don't have to wear just because you're playing sports. You can wear it any day, all day, every day. Now let's look at Under Armour. Yep, that's a backward slash. $51 in 2015. Their stock today is at $18. That's 51 to 18. Their competitors have gone up. He's gone down. He's lost a tremendous amount of his own net worth. He's lost net worth for all of his investors, for all the stockholders who have stood behind him, the board members who have stood behind him, and now they said, listen, your slash is wrong. You better do something, Kevin. So what do people do? They get forced out, they claim they're resigning, they claim they're moving on as part of an organized restructuring. That's what they always say. It's been an organized plan. This, believe me, Kevin Plank didn't wanna do it. I've had the good fortune of meeting Kevin very good guy, but again, can he run this type of business? What Under Armour needs to do is they need to stop spending money on Stephon Curry, stop spending time with Richard Branson, which they just did, because they're gonna outfit the space tourists on the Virgin Galactic. Well, that's really gonna drive revenue. That's gonna give stockholders something to really hold on to. How about getting back to your core and trying to catch up to the market that in fact you started? So Kevin, I'm sorry you had to walk the plank, but I'm happy that I never owned your stock. I didn't call him Steve, what did I call him, Stephen Curry? I call him Stephon Curry, it's Stephen Curry. I call him Stephon Coke and that's just fine. What's the difference? Can you imagine, he's never in my ear. So you have a producer when you do a show, I've told you all about this guy, Coke, he's never in my ear, I can never hear him. The first thing he said to me all day today is Stephen or Stefan or Stefan, it's not even clear what he's saying. It's a good thing I don't pay attention to him. Tell you what I am paying attention to, and this is a topic that uh, will make me hungry, but it's what teams are doing right now to feed their players. Something came out about the Minnesota Timberwolves, and what caught my attention is that uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves brought in a big time chef to cook for them. And the thing about the chef situation is that, uh, let me go back. Let me make this more clear for you. 
the way it used to be in baseball when I first started is you'd go into the clubhouse and after batting practice, there's food. When you first get to the ballpark, there's food that's sort of like lunch. And what lunch always was, we would order in Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Wendy's or any, or burger or something. Just it was burgers. It was, it was chicken wings. It was absolute crap. But everyone would eat it and everyone would be perfectly happy. You'd have some players who would have shakes along with it, but they would eat this pre-packaged fast food. Then before the game, after batting practice, there'd be some vegetables and peanut butter and some dip and maybe some tacos, just stuff that you can't imagine that you'd be wanting to feed your athletes. But they never complained. We never complained. It was cheap. It was easy. It was great. And then after the game, dinner would be catered in for the players. It would be catered in by a restaurant. P.F. Chang's, name your restaurant. Sort of a non-fast food, fast food restaurant. You'd have Italian, you'd have Mexican, you'd have Chinese, occasionally Japanese. There'd always be different meals like that. And then when you were in like West Coast cities, we'd always have In-N-Out Burger and we'd give that to them as they got on the plane. Then you get on a plane to fly and you eat plane food. Yes, we fly regular planes, they're chartered so there's nobody from the public on them, but you charter it with Delta or United or a company where what you're eating is plain food. It's, it's the first class plain food, but if you haven't had it, it's the same food with a wider seat. That's about it. So it never occurred to us that maybe we were not getting the most out of our athletes because they were eating like not good food. Well, as time passed and the years passed, it became more clear that eating healthier may give us an incremental advantage over another team who was feeding their team garbage food. So we brought in a chef and tried to make healthier, better food. This was years and years ago. And we had a chef, except when he wasn't the chef, he was the clubby who was washing the jocks of the players. He was cleaning the dirt off the cleats of the shoes of the players, or he was the chef. But we called him the chef. And then the next year, we'd move a different clubhouse guy to be the chef. We didn't hire a real chef. We had no interest. We didn't need it. We didn't want it. Didn't want to pay the extra money. Well, lo and behold, Tony Clark of Major League Baseball's Players Association, who is the head of the union, negotiated in his last collective bargain agreement. He lost every economic point. He got completely schooled by the commissioner of baseball and the owners in one of the most unbalanced, worst collective bargained agreements I've seen. Yay us. But what Tony Clark wanted, because he's a former player, he wanted comfort for his players. So one of the things that he insisted on is that now every team has to employ a real chef, like an approved chef, a chef who can actually cook, not a clubby who washes clothes. We're talking like a classically trained chef. So now players come in and they are served really healthy food. Except, funnily enough, many of the players don't like this food. They want the grits. They want the pancakes, the fried stuff, the grease. They're not interested in the health. So what do you do about that? Well, what I noticed in my last four years in baseball, there's a lot of sneaking going around. The sneaking is that players are eating not what the chef makes, but what they want. 
And what they do is they get the former chef who's the jock strap cleaning clubby to go out and get them food. True story. There was a player, his name was uh, um, Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder is the son of Cecil Fielder. Prince Fielder would ask visiting clubhouse managers, this is a story that I believe to be true, but it's hearsay. So I'm qualifying it. So for the CBS legal department, this is a qualified story. I am saying it's hearsay, which means I heard this from someone else. Didn't see it myself. The only thing I did see for myself was Prince Fielder without a shirt, and you would not believe that this is a professional athlete. So Prince Fielder had to eat very healthy. He was supposed to be a vegan off the field or something like that, just a really healthy guy. Well, he would send his clubby, the visiting clubby, to go get fast food burgers so he could eat them while no one was watching. That's what players do. He's not the only one. These clubhouse guys, that's their job. They go take care of whatever the player wants. Literally, whatever the player wants. Emphasis, whatever the player wants. Not just food. So, the players are eating healthier, but that means they're sneaking food in. So does that count when you're on a diet, but you sit in a corner and you have a box of chocolate in your closet? Is that not cheating if no one sees it happen? If you're eating healthy because the team feeds you a great salad, but then you pound McDonald's on the way home from the ballpark? Does that help? Does that hurt? I don't know, because I saw no improvement from our players, and we started feeding them the best food. I ate the food every night. That's how good it was. His name was Marcello. He's still the chef there. He's actually the one guy who who Jeter has not fired yet with the Marlins. Chef Marcello. Marcello, this is a shout out to you. Your food is so good. I miss that more than almost anything. Now I miss some of the people too. But back in Marlins Park, I miss your cooking, Marcello. But sometimes the players cheated on you. So to the Minnesota Timberwolves and their new chef, I wish you luck. But your player had a quote immediately which said, hey, I like my mom's scrambled eggs better than anything I get here. And if that doesn't sum it up, then nothing does. We're doing picks of the day here every day, and uh, I'm hot. You just have to admit, it's actually working in the NBA. We had a great, I explained to you why we were taking Denver last night. Everyone took Denver in the whole office except for the producer, Andrew Bomber, who forgot to do it. He had a mortal lock, but he's so unlucky that he only places bets that he loses. When there's a guaranteed winner, he doesn't place it. So I'm giving him another shot. There's something going on right now called load management. Kawhi Leonard is not playing for the Clippers again, and they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks, who should probably come out of the Eastern Conference. This could be a finals preview, although don't tell Ruben, but it could be the Clippers over the Lakers. Well, guess what? We're taking the Clippers. We're taking the Clippers, and here's why. It's a load management trap game. Everyone's going to be on the Bucks because there's no Kawhi Leonard. All the money, everyone's saying, Bucks, of course, this is a slam dunk. Well, if there's ever a bet where everyone tells you they're going a certain direction, go a different direction. In the coming weeks, I'm going to review my favorite sports movie. Uh, it's called Let It Ride, and it's about Jay Trotter, played by Richard Dreyfus. And I'm going to go through a scene of how he decides who he's going to bet. But a little preview and a little spoiler is that if everyone's doing something, it's a guarantee that that's not gonna happen. So everyone is gonna be absolutely hard 
hard on the Bucks. We're taking the Clippers, and we're going to win. The wait to see is a bit complicated today. Uh, something came up during the World Series that bothered me, and I talked about it here. I couldn't understand why during the World Series, uh, when the play call with Trey Turner was running out of the baseline, and he was called out, and what a crucial call that was in Game 6, but then Rendon hit that home run. For those of you who didn't watch it or don't care, there's only about 11 million of you who did watch it. So for the entire rest of the world, just take my word for it. The umpires made the right call, but no one knew what was going on. The analysts didn't know what was going on. The play-by-play guy didn't know what was going on. The fans in the seats didn't know what was going on. And that bothers me. I'm still not used to this big microphone. If you're not watching, I keep hitting the microphone and getting yelled at to stop doing that. And it sort of shakes on the screen. So, so so far, I've hit my chin, I've hit my forehead, and now I've hit my hand on it, so I apologize. We'll see what body part's next. So MLB has no umpire analyst anywhere to be seen, and they're the last sport. Because if you think about it and you watch NFL, you know, and I'm going to get it right, you've got, you've got Gene Steratore, you've got Mike Pereira, you've got Dean Blandino, in the NBA you've got Steve Javi, the quick technical referee, you know Steve Javi. And what their job is, is to explain what exactly is happening when something is going on with the umpires. Now, this is not like Jay Feely being a kicker analyst, right? Where Jay Feely was describing, hey, it looks like that's going to be wide left. Hey, he hit that off the side of his foot. That's wide right. No, this is actually where you need someone to tell the fans watching the game exactly why an umpire made the call he made and what the rule is. Because the Major League Baseball rule book which I carried around in my black bag for 18 straight years. And I took out, out of 162 games, I took out the rule book at least 10% of the time. At least 16 games a year, I would take out a rule book to go through a rule before calling the league or filing a protest or going to talk to the umpires because there's so many rules to know and learn. And a rule book comes out every year, of course. We need to explain it to the fans. It's inexcusable and unacceptable where something happens during a game and no one knows how to talk about it. And what about for the people in the stands? It's a fight that I had for years with Major League Baseball. And it's all because of umpires who don't want to be embarrassed and booed in the park in which they're umpiring. Well, I don't care about that. I want the people buying tickets to know what's happening. Have you ever been to a game and there's a discussion with the umpires and a replay and you don't know what's being replayed and you don't know the exact call? Why can't there be a PA announcement, a public announcer to announce and say, listen, right now the Chicago Cubs are challenging the safe call at first base. The Chicago White Sox are challenging the tag at second base. Why can't we tell people that? Then when there's a rule a rule change or some sort of rule argument like happened in Game 6 of the World Series, we can say there's a discussion going on about whether or not the runner was out of the base path. The exact rule is Section 5.0C31-5294, which states that a player must be within the baseline in the last 45 feet. To me, it makes perfect sense, right? Why don't we have this? So... There is going to be an umpire analyst, and it's going to happen in broadcasts, and then it will be pervasive in all of your local broadcasts, certainly for the postseason. It's critical when fans of the game are watching with fans not of the game. 
So let me be clear, it's critical when new viewers are watching that there's an umpire analyst. An NBA spokesman, I'm just hearing, this is an update, so uh, we're gonna go a little long right now, one more minute on this subject. Talking about load management and Kawhi Leonard and how they're violating the deal with the national networks who pay them, and they're angry that Kawhi keeps sitting out, and they're trying to figure out how to get these superstar players to play. An NBA spokesman just came out and said, Kawhi Leonard is not healthy enough to play back-to-back games. Chew on that, ESPN. Kawhi Leonard is not healthy enough to play back-to-back games? Well, NBA, you've got two choices. Number one, stop scheduling back-to-back games. You're hurting your product. Fans are buying tickets and watching games because they want to see the best players in the league. You're telling me Kawhi Leonard is a maximum player? And let's say there's 10 back-to-back games? He's going to miss 10 games? That's over 10% of the season. That's like your superstar going on the 15-day IL. Now it's a 10-day IL in baseball, but that's missing 10% of the season. That is unacceptable and inexcusable. Did Kawhi Leonard not get a physical before he signed his contract with the Clippers? Did the team doctors say, hey, listen, folks, he can't play back-to-back games? That's a bunch of horse hockey. That's an excuse that the NBA is giving in order to not get in trouble with its broadcast partners because the Clippers couldn't care less about back-to-back games. They want to make sure Kawhi is healthy because the playoffs last for a month and a half, two months, and he can't miss any games. Of course, there's no back-to-back in the playoffs and there's no rain delays, but they play every other day. That is a pathetic statement by the NBA spokesman. Kawhi Leonard's not healthy enough to play back-to-back. It's just business. It's nothing personal.